everyone, and welcome to episode five of the Half Stack Data Science Podcast. I'm David, and with me is Sean, and we work as data scientists at Cox Automotive Data Solutions. Any follow-up since the last episode, David? That's what the co-hosts on my favorite podcasts always ask each other. That's true. We've done that in previous episodes. Even we've done that. Great. Um, unfortunately, not this time. Oh. Nothing to report. Uh, so I think we can just crack on with today's topic, which is uh, dear to our hearts, and it's how you can answer everyone's favorite question, how long will this take? Sounds easy enough. Something tells me it's anything but. It'd be a pretty bad episode if it was an easy thing to answer. <laughs> I mean, we thought about this, and I think one of the problems is the root of this difficulty might just be the very basic structural problem of organizations. Someone above you in the hierarchy doesn't really observe what everyone below them is doing. They don't really know what everybody's doing day to day, but they have a vested interest in what is happening and when it's happening. Mm. And then if you think about it, they in turn need to describe to people above them in the hierarchy what is happening. And then those folks up there have the exact same problem with respect to the people above them. And it goes all the way to the top in any organization. What makes this problem worse in technical fields is that the knowledge required to do a good job is actually more specialized. Yeah, but this problem with the hierarchy shouldn't necessarily mean that technical people are automatically worse at giving estimates, right? At least on average. No, they shouldn't be worse on average, but I think in technical fields, the more specialized the work that you're doing, the higher the variance is going to be in those mm. estimates. And the variance of those estimates is really a function of the, the completeness of the requirements that are given to you. It's tougher to give better requirements the more specialized the work is. And they're also a function of the complexity of that work. Yeah, that's true, because the more complex the work that you have to do, there has to be more uncertainty around it because more things can go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So if somebody asks you to dig like a three meter long ditch, it should be easier to estimate how long that will take than it will to estimate a complex software project because hopefully fewer things can go wrong digging a ditch than writing some complex software. Yeah, if it rains, it might be actually easier and, and faster and should be able to estimate that plus or minus a day, whereas complex software, you've never built it before, getting down to plus or minus a day is going to be really tough. Well, there's no equivalent in software. It can't rain on your software that you suddenly deliver it faster. <laughs> I mean, rain on your computer and then slow you down. <laughs> Obviously, we're not the first people to talk about this problem. There are technical fields older than data science, most of them, in fact, and they've had to wrangle with this issue for many years. You know, how do you ask, answer when people ask you, so how long is this going to take? And David, you used to be a software developer, so I'll throw this question to you. Developers are close cousins of us data scientists. How have software developers solved this issue of giving estimates when the work's technical and specialized? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously huge literature for this. One of the things that like large enterprises did and still do is like this waterfall method of delivery where you sit around and you completely define your requirements up front. You, know, you, you group all the features, the, the necessary improvements into some kind of release cycle over potentially months. And then you all agree that nothing will be delivered for six months and there will be a launch day for version 7.1. And for enterprise software where there's a lot of testing and, and change is difficult, this makes yeah. sense yeah. in a way. Like banks don't change the way they work in six months, so you can yeah. afford to take six months to write software. Yeah. But like when the dot-com boom came in, and that was probably what put a stop to this in at least some circles. I mean, some enterprises, banks, etc., will yep. still be working like this, this waterfall method. But when you had people making websites, people wanted to move faster, right, and start with ideas that were less developed up front. Mm -hmm. and this is the only way that startups can work, is to pivot and grow and change based on feedback, because they don't know six months in advance what it is they need to be doing. And That's why they're startups. The market. Yeah, and so this kind of evolved into a cultural shift, I think, now, towards this agile way of working, where you work in maybe a two-week sprint, 
deliver something in two weeks, but you're free to change direction much more frequently and you can respond to the feedback much quicker. And I think among software development, the ecosystem now, like mm -hmm. this is much more the prevailing way of working. Yeah, so not committing to the entire shape of the solution upfront, no big design upfront, but rather some ideas that then iterate over time and you're building at the same time as working out what you're building. Mm, exactly. I suppose, you know, theoretically, when either of those is done well, those are valid methods of delivery. And which one is going to work best, it comes down to that context and obviously the risk tolerance of the organization. You mentioned banks, they're probably a little more risk averse than tech first companies. I well, kind of hope so, right? You hope so. They've got your money, right? Stored as ones and zeros in a database. So why can't we just do the same thing or things in data science? Well, I mean, when was the last time that you got requirements that actually told you what you could do for the next six months on a data science project? Hasn't happened yet. <laughs> exactly. Doing it a while hasn't happened yet. <laughs> exactly. Like, why is that? Why is data development not just the same as software development? Why aren't the principles completely? I mean, we use computers, right? We're, yeah. We're pushing data around. We're Sometimes numbers keyboard. come out. Sometimes numbers come out. One reason is that data science is difficult to define even for practitioners. Expecting non-technical stakeholders to know what to ask for is pretty unrealistic. Mm. So if you're working on a website, it doesn't really require a lot of technical expertise to ask for most of the functionality that you might want to be have more of or be different. Saying I want a red button instead of a blue one, or I want this button to send an email when something else happens, those are pretty obvious things that you don't need to understand how those things work in mm. order to ask for them. Whereas in data science, I think we can be victims in a way of the diversity of things that we as a discipline can do. Well, yeah, because we're all special unicorns who can do absolutely everything, right? Well... <sighs> If you've been listening, it's not the case in the half-stack data science world. Oh, we're, sorry, wrong podcast. Sorry, wrong podcast. Different podcast, alter egos. No, we're not unicorns, but I think as a discipline, data science can solve a very wide variety of problems. But most people don't know what we do. And we as a field, I think, have done a really bad publicity job favoring the hype cycle over properly educating people to a layman standard of what data science is good for. Mm. And that means people just don't know what they could possibly ask us for. They're still going to ask us for something, but we are nowhere near the, you know, I want a red button level of requirements. Yeah, there's no real analog to the red button. No, and maybe it's not possible, but, you know, we're not even on the way towards that. Mm. I mean, I don't think that we need to make everyone machine learning experts. The, the good news here is that yeah. we don't, to, to, in order to get better requirements from our stakeholders, we don't need to make them experts in machine learning, for example. That's good. <laughs> right? Telling people about the technical specifics of data science is not really the way to bridge the gap between us They're and... They're going to snooze off. Yeah, and it's technical. not valuable, right? It doesn't make sense for everybody to have practitioner level knowledge. No. But what does make sense is to spend more time educating them on the kinds of problems that data science is well suited to solve. You want them to be able to answer the question, what does data science do? Yeah, it'd be so, good if when that person above them in the hierarchy asks them, why is data science working on that thing? It'd be good if they had a sort of coherent... Uh, or why are we paying a data science team? Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Let's not think too much about that one. So what this all means, really, we can't offload the requirements to our stakeholders. There's no other experts that know what we're doing and can do as well as us. So we are going to have to define our own requirements based on what we hear from those stakeholders and, crucially, what we've found that the data can do for mm. us. And it's a combination of understanding that deeper business problem that people want help with, but also understanding what data assets we have and how they could be used to solve these problems. So it's not just requirements gathering, right? It's taking those requirements to some data iteratively and having the skill to do both things. Mm. So there could obviously be a mismatch there either way. We could be asked for Google-level problem solving, 
organize the world's information and make it all searchable, which we obviously don't have the capability to deliver as half-stack data scientists. Or the, the questions that we get asked, problems that get pitched to us could be completely reasonable, but we just don't have the data. Mm. Yeah, and I think this mismatch is possibly why that you look at a lot of companies, product managers and BAs are not really writing user stories mm. for data scientists to work on for that reason, yep. especially on the B end of the data science spectrum where we squarely sit. Uh, requirements B for business. B, B for, for business. Yeah. B for business versus A for academic, hence the Google reference. Yeah. You know, requirements don't come to us. We, we have to come to the requirements and get them our, ourselves. So going back to the, you know, the theme of today's episode, how does this, all this complexity and the fact that we have to go out there and get those requirements, how does that affect our ability to estimate how long something's going to take? Well, yeah, because even if you have better requirements, well, actually, if you have better requirements, you'd assume, okay, then now we can go and, and estimate it. But it's still not that simple just because of the amount of uncertainty there is about how, how the work will unfold, mm -hmm. right? Because unless you're doing a slightly different churn model on the same data set that you've been working with for the last year, um, you don't really know what you're going to find or what difficulties you're going to encounter You also don't have a benchmark. If you have been working that data set for a year, you, you know what good looks like already. And so... Yeah, somebody yeah. tells you to predict sales. How are you going to know what is mm. going to be the biggest barrier to yeah. a good model? If you need to add a red button to a website, you've probably done it before, and you probably have a reasonable idea of the patterns at least. Maybe not of the specific things you'd have to type into your machine, yeah. but like the patterns required to do that thing. And like data science is too young to have these kinds of patterns. Pretty bleak, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I always feel, there's always a point in our episodes where we reach a point where like, oh, we should say something positive Hopefully now. it's about halfway through that, that <laughs> narrative arc. So what can we feasibly say to someone asking us, how long will this take? Because at the end of the day, in the enterprise context, they still pay our salaries and they are entitled to some kind of answer. Yeah. And as you can imagine, despite the fact that we're in an enterprise, the waterfall approach just doesn't work. You can't you don't know what you're going to do for six months as a data scientist. So you, it's delivery timelines that are that long just won't work. Yeah. But like, what about agile? Like there are people out there blogging about agile for data science because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it, it makes sense. Because surely you can break down even a complex analysis into roughly like two week sprints, for example, after which you, you can pivot and change your approach. So yeah, I think there's a lot of value to that. And I think we certainly agree on some of the underlying principles. So we agree on a need for iteration and for a short to medium term planning horizon. Difficulty is agile to me is in a sense really about organizing teams, diverse teams all working on a problem, mm -hmm. on different parts of the same problem. Whereas data science, we've said earlier, it is a team sport, but it's a team sport in the way that cricket is. Cricket is about individual interactions rather than a constant sort of unified team effort in the way that football is. So that two-week cycle can only work for data science, we think, if you don't expect a specific result at the end. Mm. So to make that work, your success criteria would need to be so vague that you wouldn't really be able to apply the agile label. But of course, it's perfectly reasonable to do some time-boxed investigations. No one should be going into a six-month black hole and, and then coming out with, I don't know, Everybody's forgotten what the question was yeah, by then. Certainly by then. This kind of work in Agile is called you know, doing research stories or research sprints or design sprints, where you take a, a period of time and you admit that you don't even know what the question is, spend some time on that. But of course, in Agile software development, you don't want to do too many of those. Well, because then you're not making any not software. Not delivering or making not any shipping. software, yeah. But that's exactly what we actually need to do in data science to figure out what is the problem we can solve and how. If we had some sort of manifesto, like principle yeah. one for yeah. estimating time spent in data science could be something like, 
yes, you should iterate in short cycles with a tight feedback loop. Absolutely. Be because you need to talk to people about what you found. Definitely avoid rabbit holes that span months, as we said. Yeah. But don't be rigid about deliverables for the initial investigations. Like you can't expect a data scientist to find something up front. A specific insight. A specific. Yeah. Find me the specific insight in this data. Yeah, we have been asked. <laughs> Sometimes we try, but we're getting better at talking people out of asking that. Yeah, it, it's you can't you just can't promise to find a specific insight ahead of time, yeah. or even like achieve a guaranteed level of predictive accuracy. Because how do you know? You don't know up front that you can say that within this time span, my model is going to be at least 72% accurate. Yeah. But what you can do is you can commit to just improving your approach over time, which is kind of what Agile is about. Stakeholders are pretty comfortable with that. If you can commit and then demonstrate that you're improving over time, it's a lot easier to um, get that buy-in. So obviously you need to be discussing the findings with your stakeholders, and then together you can decide what we might call an optimal stopping point. And that might be where you stop the investigation because you realize you shouldn't be doing this work. You might have learned enough to stop the work. Or you stop because you've learned enough, you've reached a point where the requirements are now clear enough that it looks a little bit more like most other technical fields and you have enough detail now to move to a different stage of delivery. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the idea and that's the way we think about this is to actively define separate phases in this data science project. Start with a proof of concept then move on to a prototype, and then eventually reach production. So those uh, first two do sound awfully similar, and a lot of people use proof of concept and prototype interchangeably. How are they different? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And maybe in software development land, they're not mm. different, right? Because the closest analog I could think of is when you get wireframes versus actual prototypes that are interactive. Right. But really, wireframes are not the domain of the developer. If your developers are mocking up the wireframe, something is not wrong, maybe not wrong organizationally, but you're, you're on limited resources and yeah, the, the whole yeah. thing doesn't work Usually the same way. Usually a designer would be doing the wireframes in some user research and then handing the best version of those over to a developer to turn them into some kind of working prototype rather yes. than proving, can this form flow into another form? You know, we know the answer to that question. It's more about how do we assemble these building blocks? Exactly, like they're external to the, the process of, of building these right. things. And they're just part of the requirements gathering. Right, so the wireframes, probably done by someone else. Now go and build that thing as a prototype. Yeah. A lot of the questions about what you should build, most of them, have mm. already been asked, and now it's like how you build it. So you could say that it's a proof of concept, because developers are rarely tasked with proving concepts like, yeah. at a conceptual level. Is it possible to add a red button? <laughs> yeah, of and, course. And when you is. click it, is it possible for it to send an email? Like, we actually know already yeah. from the practice, but, you know, data science is kind of too young and too various. So in data science, that proof of concept stage lets us answer some of the many little questions that you need to have an answer to before you know whether that big question, the one that informs the, the solution, can we predict this big outcome before you even know that's possible mm. to predict? And some of those little questions can sound silly. So we need to know what a car is in our data set. How is it defined? How is it measured? In order for us to count or predict their sales. It's not just about choosing a column and saying, make that the label. Mm. And we just predict that. Exactly. Um, we need to know that we can access the right kind of data, the right level of granularity. And we also want to know, will a quick and dirty version of a simple algorithm go some way to answering that big question? Will it do better than a coin flip when we make predictions? Ideally. Ideally. So if our proof of concept can't even get us to, you know, better than a coin flip in a binary problem, then at least we have a disproof of concept, which still has business value two ways. One, when future conversations come up about, oh, why don't we do this thing? We can pull out our disproof of concept and show we already know that it won't work. 
But the other way that a disproof of concept is, is useful, it can stop us moving to the next phase, stop us from building a prototype, which is obviously going to be more expensive, because what the disproof of concept has uh, told us is that we already don't think that prototype will work or add value. And we talked about a case study around that in a previous episode. And when you get to that point that you have a positive outcome from the proof of concept stage, yeah. right? You're satisfied that the concept is sound and you can, you can take it further because you're not finished in any sense. No, you're just, no. You just know that this is something you could spend more time on and get something out of it. This is when you can commit to building something over a slightly longer time frame. This is where the prototype mm -hmm. phase comes in. A prototype can by definition take longer because it actually needs to have all its parts operational. That's why it's a prototype. Like it, it those, should kind of work. Yeah. So you know, it should pull real data in mm -hmm. from all the data sources that you need. It should train an actual passable model if there's a predictive element. Mm -hmm. And you should do something with those predictions. Again, we've talked, I think, in previous episodes about we're not making predictions for the sake of predictions. Yep. We're informing business decisions. So we need to see that this thing, this prototype that you build, could lead to better decision making yep. in some sense. But we're not committing to writing production-grade software or anything. This prototype can be held together with sticky tape in some sense. Right. Like software de developers could balk at the lack of robustness. Yeah, yeah I mean, they should. They should, yeah, yeah. they should. But we do want to build something that we can put in front of our stakeholders and they can actually get their hands on, play around with, and which will actually be the business case to do it for real if everybody agrees. Right. So we've taken all the bits and pieces from our proofs of concept, had that decision, stitched it together into a prototype, and that's going to tell us, will it have a hope of working as a sort of end-to-end -end solution without having to go and build that big expensive yes. thing? Yeah. So it's entirely possible that in a prototype, you might find that once you integrate all those pieces, the measurable uplift in the decision that you're trying to improve might not justify the effort to take that all the way mm. to production. Think of that predictive model trying to put itself into a spreadsheet that we talked about in a prior episode. So if your prototype doesn't electrify your stakeholders or you get the sense that your decision-making tool would be ignored in favor of instinct, even if it was giving perfect predictions, <laughs> You know, the great thing about thinking of this proof of concept, then prototype, then production, is that you can still stop at the prototype stage. Mm. You might have built an end-to-end -end thing held together with sticky tape. You take it out to the business, you try to assess what impact is that going to make on business value, and you realize, okay, well, we do know more now, and what we've decided to do is stop. Yeah, and you could stop for different reasons, because yeah. the whole point of the proof of concept is to investigate, like, feasibility mm. from a technical yep. perspective, data and so on. But prototypes are more about assessing the, the business impact of your uh, potential you know, down-the-line solution mm -hmm. uh, versus the cost of making it happen, as you said. It's a little way between all the proof of concepts. It's more than the sum of all of those, but less than going out and doing the full prediction thing. Mm. When you do put that prototype, say it's working, in front of a senior stakeholder, what's the typical reaction? <laughs> Despite how much you'd want to protest that it's not sellable, so it happened to me today, I actually put one of these prototypes in front of a senior stakeholder, and the second question I got... Oh, second question. Second least. question, which is good. I think we're making progress, but the second question was, when could this be ready to sell? So I've seen it working. There's a working prototype. Yeah, that's the danger. It's yeah. like, this obviously works, so when is it ready to go out into the wild? Well, as everyone knows, putting data science prototypes into production is really difficult. I've heard. Lots of hot takes, lots of articles with that exact title out there on the internet. Usually the conclusion is something about how every model needs to turn into an API. We've already elaborated on how that doesn't necessarily work in the type B heartlands where we uh, stalk our prey. For us, thinking about it that way is a necessarily limiting way of thinking about creating value. Definitely a topic for another day. We have some thoughts about this. If you saw our Strata talk in London earlier in the year, you've already got a sense of it. 
we will go into more detail in a future episode about yeah, prototypes to production. But it needs an episode of its it needs own. It's a I whole think. episode. Or many, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But, but the main takeaway from today is that when people ask you, how long will it take, which you should assume that you have to give an answer to, right? Yep. We recommend that you can tell your stakeholder a version of the story that we just told you. Mm-hmm. Unless they understand what's difficult and different about data science versus other technical fields that they might have encountered before, right. which they would have done, right? Because yeah. like software yeah, yeah. development, people How deal with that all the time. How likely are they to be asking data scientists to do something if they've never asked a, a web development team? It's unlikely that we are the first technical people that they've ever met. Exactly, so. exactly. But unless they understand the difficulties that are specific to data science, right. then they won't change their expectations about how projects are delivered and how long things will take. Because they have a blueprint from software developers and they know that, okay, if they say three weeks, is going to be three weeks plus or minus a week. But it's it, it, you'll know that it's kind of finished in that time frame. Mm. Whereas data science, you, you don't even know what you're going to have in three and weeks' maybe time. Maybe that gap between prototype and production is much shorter mm. in that world than, yes, than announced. exactly. Yeah, so we've found that when someone asks that question, making an initial commitment to look into the feasibility of this work through proofs of concept is pretty hard to disagree with, and it makes the conversation a lot more productive. It steers it towards what are the questions that we're going to need to answer through the proof of concept phase to know whether we should invest in the prototype phase. You know, We wouldn't want to walk into there, dear stakeholder, without knowing the answers to these questions. Mm. Then through that proof of concept phase, ideally every few weeks you have something to show and discuss and get feedback on, again without committing to specific deliverables up front. They may still ask you, so when it will be done? And you'll be able to say, well, we've still got this many concepts to prove. And after that, we then need to do a prototype to assess the business impact. But if you can tell them a, a version of the story we've told you, we think you'll be all right. Yeah, because I think an answer that is some sort of commitment on time, even if it's just to look into feasibility, is kind of enough at that point. Yes. As long yeah. as they know that they'll have something that, that is more than they have now in a certain yeah. amount of time, yeah. that's enough. Yeah. And so if you succeed in taking your stakeholders on this iterative journey of, of like discovery, you, you should kind of collectively know when you've reached that stopping point and it'll be easier to convince them either that the work isn't valuable to continue. Right, because we've got disproofs of concept, yeah. Because you've done the work, you, you yeah. put work done in. Done the homework, yeah. Done yeah, the homework yeah. and we've, we kind of know why it, it's not feasible. Or you could take an informed decision to, to commission the next phase, which would be a prototype which could have more defined requirements, right? right? Thanks to all the work that you've put in and the feedback you've received. So you know more about the potential solution than you did when somebody just asked you a vague question yeah. three weeks ago yeah. or six weeks Potentially ago. Potentially a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, a lot more. And again, no one will argue with, we've assessed the feasibility of this, but we also need to spend time assessing the business value before you commission us on a long development cycle of some kind of production grade right. system. And that justifies taking it to a prototype and seeing whether it will have that impact in close to real world setting before committing to the big spend. Exactly. We haven't answered how long your project will take, but if you enjoy our conversations, like us and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen and get in touch via email or Twitter. They'll be in the show notes with any questions or observations. Indeed, but for now, thanks for listening.